in, in the app, and if you do not have one today, the words will also be uh, on the screen as we look at James chapter 5, verse 13 to 18. And we come to the end of our series in James, and I'll give one little caveat there. We're, we're only going to verse 18, 19, and 20. We just couldn't squeeze that in today, and I wanted to focus it on prayer. And uh, so that's a little bit of more homework for you, for you to... Uh, to recognize, get a little stir, that's uh, good, okay, all right, so we've been in this, this book of James, uh, it is a short book, as I mentioned from the beginning, it's a, a great book to memorize, at least part of it, and I'll, I'll ask you, how many of you have continued to memorize some of James, any of you, what, what does that mean? You learned like the first verse, James, a servant of God. Okay, that's all right. I put that back to you, just a challenge. It's a, it's a great book, very practical as we've talked about. We have learned some things through this series. Some of you have maybe spent some time in James previously or heard uh, various sermons or Bible studies on it. And this has been a refresher. Some of you, this is new stuff. You you haven't really heard this before. Either in this book, this letter. And so we've talked about the power of words, that the tongue, how, how dangerous it can be, destructive in so many ways. We talked about the power of, of faith in action, we talked about putting some deed in our creed. Faith is what, what saves us, but saving faith works. It, it does things. There's evidence of our faith when we put it into action. We talked about the disastrous effect of discrimination, showing favoritism within the body. There was a caution to the rich on the treatment of the poor. We've talked about the, considering the brevity of our lives. We are, we are like a, a mist here for a little while and vanish. And so we should consider the Lord's will, what he wants us to do. And so various other things we've talked about in this book. And as we come to the end of it, and today, we come to another very practical teaching from James. And this is on, on prayer. Prayer. Prayer is, is one of those things that can cause all kinds of different feelings and emotions, depending on where you are at. Uh, if you are fairly new to, to church, to Jesus, to, to, to life of faith, it can be... A different culture. They close their eyes, or they, they they hold their hands out, or they whatever they do corporately. But then there's how we pray privately as well. It can be confusing, and I, I think in some ways it's a it's a different. It can be a different culture, almost like what we're experiencing now. If if you're watching any of the World Cup, and if if you are if you are secretly watching the Canada Croatia right now. Um, just, I'll just say, don't tell me the score or anyone else. Like, some people are recording it, okay? And we're going to watch it later, so don't spoil it. But the World Cup, this, this idea of, of football, or we call it soccer, but, you know, throughout most of the world, it's football. Fans, they, they act certain ways, they, they chant certain things, and you're like, what are they saying? What are they talking? And, and gestures that they make. And there's things like that. We don't like, what is that? What does that mean? Especially if you don't, and too, if you don't understand the game or, or what offside is, it goes that way for, for all sports. If you just kind of 
jump into it, you're like, I don't know what is going on. I get the idea that you're supposed to, you know, kick that round object into the other team's net. And once every, like, three games that happens. Sorry. <laughs> Especially if you're Germany. Sorry, Marcus. I just put that up. You understand what I'm saying. There's a culture to things that if you just kind of land in and you're like, I don't know what's going on and you have to learn it. And prayer can be like that for people who are outside of church. Some of you have grown up, you know, and you have that beautiful picture that, that some of us have, you know, of, of sitting on your grandma and grandpa's lap and then reading the Bible to you and praying with you and, and sitting around the table and, and holding hands, you know, before mealtimes and praying and asking God to bless the meal. And, and that's, those are rich things, and hopefully those things will carry on into our generations. But for other people, it's like, what is going on? And prayer can be like that. It can be confusing. For, for others and, and for all, the idea that prayer is something that is essential to the Christian life, but we realize we don't measure up. We fall short in so many ways. And so often there's, this, there's a guilt that's attached. We don't pray enough. We don't pray as we should. It's also a common reason that, that people give for, for leaving the faith or being stuck for a long time in their faith, not growing. It's because there's something that they've been praying about for a long time. And it just doesn't seem like that prayer is being answered. And so they toss their hands up and say, it doesn't seem to work. It doesn't seem to make a difference. Well, when we read God's word, when we read the Bible, we see that the Bible is filled with prayers of the people of God, crying out to God in all kinds of different life situations, things that probably didn't happen the way that they wanted it to, but so they cried out to God. There was a, a communication with Yahweh, God, throughout the Bible. We see in, in the Old Testament, we see Abraham, we see Moses, Elijah, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, the prophet. We see Nehemiah. Particularly, we see David and, and other psalm writers through 100 called the Psalms, which are, are songs of praise and songs of lament. And, and if you ever... This is one thing, practically take home right away, right now. If you're going, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. We've got very good examples in the book of Psalms. Pray the Psalms. You'll find that it connects with your heart in so many different ways. As we enter into the New Testament, we see Mary, the mother of Jesus, calling out to God and singing praise to God. First thing that people did after witnessing the resurrected Christ was to gather together the gap. They were praying. The apostles' letters to the churches, they include beautiful, theological, like they're rich with understanding who God is, what God has done for them. And these prayers are ones that we, again, should read, we should memorize and pray over each other. The only thing that we have, the re only record we have of the disciples asking Jesus for specifically to teach them, like of all the things, they spent their three years with Jesus, lots of questions, lots of things that they're like, I don't get it. But the one thing specifically they asked him to teach them 
was prayer. It was so recognizable, the depth of his prayer life and the impact, the power that it had. That They said, we need to know how to pray. So our focus is prayer today. Let's read it. James chapter 5, 13 to 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing him, prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Today, we have many books praying, and that's in some ways confusing, but also the beauty of prayer. There's many ways to pray. Today, I want to just share initially just a simple few ways of what prayer is. We should probably talk about that. What exactly is prayer? And again, if you are, are new to church, new to faith, this is just a simple way to say, what exactly is, is prayer? And so this is what I submit to you today, simply. Prayer is this. Prayer is a relationship with God. We have the opportunity, because of what Jesus has done for us, to enter into the throne room, to come before the Father. And Scripture says we can come any way of arrogance. We come with a humility, but also a boldness to come before God because of what Jesus has done for us. And we have that opportunity to have a relationship with God the Father because of Jesus. And it's a relationship. And in that, prayer is talking and listening to God. It's, it's not just a monologue. This is a, it's a good thing to continue to hold on to in our minds. It's not just us talking. Some of us like to talk. Some of us talk for a living. Some of us say way too much. Sometimes we say way too much to God. And I don't think that God gets tired of us, but, you know, if you're like, okay, he's impatient with us in any way. But sometimes we're just talking, talking, talking. And the Bible tells us that, that this is a relationship. There is a communal component of us talking with God and listening to God. And we have his word which speaks to us, and he speaks to us in our circumstances. He uses other people. The problem is not that God does not speak, it's that we are not always tuned into his channel. We have to listen as well. Prayer is an act of dependence on God. That is, that is a key component. When we come to him, we say, uh, you are God, you are the creator, and I am the creation. I put myself, I say, I need you. That's, that's a big component of prayer is saying, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I express my dependence on you. And in that, I, I also express my, my surrender. I align my, my heart with, with God's. 
So it's not just a, here's my list, here's all my concerns, you're going to share that, but, but it's also understanding, God, what are you doing in my life? How can I see you at work in my life? How can I get in on what you are doing, what you are all about? I align my heart with yours. Prayer is ex- accessing the resources at our... This is one of the beautiful prayers of the Apostle Paul. He says this in Ephesians 3.16. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner spirit through his spirit. I mean, if, if you got to get a hold of that. There is glorious, unlimited resources available to us as children of God, that we can tap into, and we do that through prayer. Now you see this, this beautiful picture I have here of crystal clear, it's Lethbridge water, but just imagine, just imagine with me that this represents the glorious, unlimited resources of, and it fills you by the power of his spirit with strength in your inner spirit. This is from God. This, on the other hand, it's settled. It's a little murky. It's kind of sludgy, a little dirty. This is you and me. This is our power. This is our resources. And this is probably at its best. Because there's something in the cup. See, if I start drawing from this disgusting stream of water that is, that is my life, because I run dry, I only have so much talent, I only have so much ability, I only have so many hours and minutes in a day, and I only have so much strength in my weak human body. But this is what I feel comfortable with every day drawing from. And like I said, this is that it's good day when there's something in it. I draw from it and usually it's dry. When all of this is available to us every day. Resources to empower your inner spirit, inner strength. It's what it gives you. So that's what prayer does. It it taps into those glorious, unlimited resources available to you from God. All right. What we're going to get to in this with James is is this, simply this, is that in each and every circumstance, a believer is to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it says, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now, Every pray, every moment of the day, what it's talking about is just being in relationship, being in conversation with God comfortably, moment by moment, throughout the day, expressing your dependence on Him. So this is what James is teaching us as he, cho- as he closes this letter to a church that's scattered because of persecution, and now experiencing exploitation from the rich, from these, these wealthy landowners, and, and noble, noblemen that are, you know, not paying them. And, and so the people, they're, they're hungry, they're suffering, they're in trouble. And he writes this to us as well today. He 
each and every circumstance. I've said this quote to you numerous times. N.T. Wright, he says, a Christian's first response, whether in praise or panic, is to pray. Simple as that. A Christian's first response, something great happens to you, you get the job or you get an A or something happens to you in your, in your life. You have a grandchild. Wonderful. Praise Jesus. Good things happen in your life and you just say, thank you, God. You sing, you just give praise. Something happens, tragedy strikes. Someone gets sick. You look at your bank account and pray. Whether in praise or panic, a Christian's first response, turn to God. Turn to him. All right, so here we go. James 5, 13. This is what he says. When, when should we pray in each of these circumstances? So he says, first of all, this. If anyone is suffering, pray. If you have the NIV, it says, if any of you is in trouble, pray. And it doesn't say what you should pray. It says pray. Again, this was a people who were scattered because of persecution, now experiencing hardships due to all the circumstances in their life that were against them because of being followers of Jesus. If any of you is in, having a difficulty, circumstance of all kinds, let me ask you, what's this for you? What keeps you up at night? What's churning in your gut, causing you this, this fear, or this anxiety right now? Can I ask you this? How many of you have something like that right now in your life? Yeah. If any of you is in trouble, facing a difficulty, pray. Again, he doesn't say what to pray, just to pray. And if we look at the... He says this, is that not just to pray that God would, would take that away. I mean, that, that would be our natural instinct. That situation that you have in your gut right now or that's keeping you up at night, and you're probably praying, Lord, remove that affliction. <laughs> remove that barrier from my life. But the fuller picture of what James is saying is this. Even in the middle of that, even if God doesn't take that away, you still express your dependence on God. You still call on him for his glorious, unlimited resources to give you strength in your inner spirit. He says again from chapter 1, Consider it pure joy when you face trial. Trial is causing you to grow, developing perseverance, character in your life. This word perseverance, as I talked about from the, the first part of this series, hupomene. That Greek word, hupomene, it's fun to say. Hupomene, but it's, it's this idea of this endurance, and it's, it's talking about bearing up under the weight of this difficulty, this trouble that you're, you're facing. And so you're going to have this strength to bear that, not on your own, but because you're dependent on God. Some of our, our young adults, they, they go do like lots of working out, and you know, if you see some of them, and you say, wow, you're just good at it. Lifting weights, you know, bragging about it just a little, some of you. How much you can lift these days. But that's it's really the idea of this, not that you're doing it, but because of the weight that's on you, that you are lifting 
and pressing against, you're getting stronger. Upomene, you're bearing up under and it's causing you to grow and be stretched because of your trial. So if you're suffering, if you're in trouble, what do you do? You pray. And he says, if anyone is cheerful, they should praise. NIV says, if anyone's happy, if they're here, there's joy. If you dig a little bit into the, the, the Greek, I know, um, you know, it just, it, it talks about this is singing songs, but it's, it's kind of got this idea of being accompanied by a harp. We don't have a harp up here, but, you know, we should, maybe, I don't know, to be biblical. I don't know. But it has this idea of, that's how they, you know, sing. I don't see a harp necessarily being a real, like, happy instrument, but apparently it was. But what he's saying is, like, if you're, if you're happy in your spirit, like, get out your harp and rock out. <laughs> that's my translation. <laughs> sing songs of, are listening to, to worship songs in your, in your car. And, and I'll, I'll say this. Um, there's some really good worship songs and praise songs, and there's some that aren't so good. Have discernment. That goes with anything. But what kind of music do you listen to? It has a huge impact on your state of mind, on your mood, and everything. But if, if you are have a contentment in your spirit, and you have joy in your heart because of Jesus, like, let it out. Sing songs. It's a, it's a biblical, it's the, the people of God and the church are singers whether you can keep the note or not, it's like, let it out in praise to God. Um, you know, gladness of heart, but it, it should come across in your face. There's, there's a lot of Christians that are seeming a little bit scowly. Um, and, you know, I've been accused of this because sometimes, like, my resting face is, is kind of like, I might have a headache or something like that, and, and I have this little scowl, it's like, Kimball, aren't you, aren't you, don't you have the joy of the Lord? I do, but my face just is catching up, right? We've got to let our, our faces kind of catch up a little bit. Now, hear this. I'm not saying that you should fake this, right? It has to be something that's authentic. But if you have inner joy in Jesus, there should be affected by it. So James 1, as I said, says, consider it pure joy in trials. And so this isn't just like... You know, gladness of heart, not just because you got the job, not just because, you know, you got a date, uh, not just because you got an awesome Christmas present. It goes deeper than that. There's also a joy in heart when you are actually in trouble, when you are in suffering. We see this in the book of Acts. Paul and Silas, they're in prison. They've been testifying the gospel and get them in trouble. And they're thrown in jail, they're thrown in stocks, and they're in prison. And it's midnight, it's the, you know, the dark. They're singing songs at midnight. They didn't let them take their harp with them. They're singing songs to God in the middle of being in prison, choosing to praise. So giving thanks, people. <laughs> this should be a staple of our prayer lives as believers, it sets the whole direction and attitude of our prayers. All right, we got to move on. Okay, so if you're if you're in trouble, pray. You know, if you're happy, joy in spirit, sing praise, let it out. If if you're sick, it says this: call the elders. 
I'm going to walk through this kind of piece by piece pretty quickly. But first of all, he says this, let them call. I think there is a, a little um, nuance here that's saying that, that maybe the assumption, you know, that the, the individual probably has already been praying on their own. doesn't say that, but that's, you know, probably assumption if they're, they're sick and if they are a believer, they're probably, you know, praying about it already. But that's not mentioned. It says instead, call the elders, call other people to pray for you. So, and I think there is a bit of a nuance or an onus on the person that's sick. It says, let them call. Right? So, and this is sometimes a wrestling, I'll say for, for us as pastors or elders, if we hear of someone that is sick, we want to we want to visit you. We want to come and pray for you, but particularly a lot of concern for privacy and what things know and and everything like that. And we want to be respectful of that. But what this is saying is like if if someone is sick, let them call. Like there should be they should pick up the phone. They should be the one to say, hey, I, I want someone to come and pray uh, for me. That individual or their family initiate the elders coming. It's not a presumption that the elders are going to show up at your door with their, their oil. We'll get to that. Okay. It says, let them call the elders of the church. Who's an elder? Well, the elder, this, this term is, is pastor or overseer. The mature leaders, the shepherds over the flock, they're, they're the one that you can't call on your friends and family and other ones to pray. But in, in some situations, this is what they say, call the elders of the church, those who are spiritually mature, those who also have some, some insight, some discernment, call the elders. Uh, I've told you this story uh, before, but I always, it always comes to my mind. I, my uh, friend Jonathan, young guy, was in our church, was in our youth group in, in Surrey. He was, uh, got sick. He was 14, diagnosed with, uh, with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, there, was, there was a mass. They were de determining what treatment to do. And him and his parents, or his, his mom, had just recently come to faith in Jesus, and they were new to the Bible, and he said he was reading the Bible, they were reading in the Bible, and it says that we should call the elders, if someone is sick, we should call the elders, and they will come and pray and anoint the person with oil, and then mom says, oh, that's interesting, yeah, and Jonathan's like, we'll call the elders, like, it was just common sense to him, like, we're, we're new in faith, this is what the Bible says we should do if you're sick, Call the elders. And so they called the elders. And the elders came, prayed over him, anointed him with oil. And he was healed. He was gone. Like, and to this day, as far as I know, like he's, he's healthy. It was, it was just, he was healed. Praise God. Call the elders of the church. They will pray. To pray, the idea perhaps is there, there's an over that this person is laid up, is, is in a bed sick. Or there's an idea of maybe laying on of hands, praying over this person who is sick. And I'll say this, is sometimes, again, if you're new to, to faith and, and prayer, some of these ideas are, are, con are confusing. But the idea of laying hands on someone or just to pray for someone and put your hands on them, it's, it's just an, a very conscious, physical gesture, a posture of praying specifically for this person and, and setting them aside for God's work in healing. We have to be careful with this. My former church is a, a man who wasn't, wasn't an elder but felt that he had a, a gift of uh, you know, prophetic or, or healing. Felt very strongly during a, a song that God, the Spirit, was, was prompting him to go up to this woman who was sick 
to go up to her and to put his hands around her neck and to pray for her. This was just the, the sense he got from the spirit. I got to go over to her and pray for her and put your hands around her neck. She didn't get that same feeling from the Lord. Um, so there is some caution, and that's why I think there's an idea that this, this should be in the place of, you know, call the elders, call those with wisdom. Also in our, our culture of, you know, don't place hands on someone without their permission, right? Ask, ask them if you can. Put your hand on their back. If they have a headache, that's happened to me. I, I get migraines, I get headaches. People have come and prayed for me, put their hand on my head, and they ask me, like, because I'm not always a touchy, huggy guy or, you know, like, give me my space. But if someone says, I want to pray for you, can I put my hand on your head and pray for you? Absolutely. But that's what we have to have in our wisdom. Maybe other cultures, might, you might come from a culture that's different than that. All right. Pray, pray over them and anoint them with oil. Now, this is kind of a, a little bit of a mystery here. Not a lot of clear biblical instruction about in the church, aside from this one, and then I'll, I'll share a bit from others. But what kind of oil? Essential oils? I thought that was funny, but I guess it wasn't. It be some of you, you're very, very important essential oils. Could be. Um, canola oil. Uh, doesn't say what kind of oil. Anoint them with oil. <laughs> um, oil in the Old Testament was used for anointing priests, anointing kings, those who were set apart for a very specific task. And so they would have, you know, this large, you know, ram's horn or something that was filled with oil and they would pour it over the person's head and, and it would run down their beard and, you know, they were this is something in the Old Testament that's setting apart for a very specific task. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus sent the disciples out um, to, to teach, to preach, to anoint the sick. They anointed them that were sick with oil. Two components, I guess, that we, you know, we consider with this anointing of oil. The word anoint has to do with rubbing or massaging. So there is a, a, a part of this that, that has a medicinal or a healing kind of a thing. That there's, there's that avenue to it. But I, I, I lean more towards seeing that this is a, this is a symbolic um, gesture. It's an act of con this person for God's attentive care, for his healing. We do this in the name of the Lord. When we do something in the name of the Lord, we're submitting to his will. We're asking what we desire in our will. When someone is sick, we say, our desire. It is our will that this person would be raised up and healed. But we pray this in accordance to your name, according to your will. Your purposes are supreme. No matter what, we submit to your will and we will praise you. Okay, little thing, little um, part here about today, our practice here. I asked someone with oil and calling the elders to pray, and, and this person said, yeah, it's biblical. It's right there. And I'm like, well, if you were sick, would you do it? And she said, um, hmm, I don't know. Probably not. And I was like, well, you just said it was biblical. And, you know, but this is the thing. We as elders, we don't get called a lot to come and pray for people and anoint them with oil. So the idea is this. I'm saying this to you. It's in the Bible. Here it is. I'm explaining it to you. This is the practice, the practice of the church. But what would keep you from, from doing this? Would 
You know, you have to be, sometimes it's like you're, you're on like the very last breaths. I'm in a place of need, physically sick. And you can call on your friends, call on your family, call on your life group, everything. But would you, would you say, I'm going to call on the spiritual leaders of the church because this is our body, this is our family. Would you call on the leaders of your church to come and to anoint you with oil, consecrate you for God's work and healing in your life? So in our practice, this is what would happen if you were sick. Um, and we believe, you know, medicine and doctors are gifts from God and should be pursued alongside prayer. That's, that's clear. We, we, that's what we believe. But if you were to also to call the elders, uh, typically we would come, we would pray over you, and with a small vial of, of olive oil, a physical symbol of setting you apart for God's healing work, and we would place oil on your forehead in the sign of the cross. It's the place of ultimate healing from sickness and death. And in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we would pray, we would cry out to God for his healing in your life in the name of Jesus. And we would trust in the results of God. Leave the results to him. So that's what we do here. All right. Oh, man. We've got to cruise along. Whew. All right. If anyone has sinned, just to say a few things about this. It says, there, is there a component where sin is attached to our physical health? And, and so both in Scripture. We know that sickness and death is a result of sin from the beginning. From Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world. Through Adam and Eve's disobedience, they were death entered. Uh, author and pastor Sam Albury says this: In general, sickness is a part is part and parcel of life in a broken and fallen world. It's part of part of the fallout from our collective rebellion against God, and in that sense, is indiscriminate. It's you know, it's not picking and choosing according to that. It's basically a part of our broken world. And yet he goes on to say there's also places in scripture where there is times of connection with people's John 5. Jesus has, has healed someone from being a cripple. He said, take up your mat and walk. And this guy does. In faith, picks it up and, and walks. And then it says, Jesus sees him again later. And he's walking. And he says to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty heavy, right? There, seemingly, there's some connection to what this guy has, has done or part of. It says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Another example is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, communion, as we will next week. Um, and it talks about this rebuke passage to the church in Corinth who were abusing the Lord's Supper. Meal together, come together and eat together and remember the sacrifice of Jesus. But what were they doing? They were buttoning in line, they were getting there, they were eating all the food, they were gluttonously eating and drinking, disrespecting the meal and also leaving those outside hungry. He says, this is, this is wrong. He says, this is why some of you, this is what the Apostle Paul says, this is why some of you are sick. And some of you have fallen asleep. You're, you've died. Be connection in some cases. The other side of it is, is no. Times where there is no connection. John chapter 9, where Jesus makes it very clear in this instance. They ask him, is it 
this guy blind because of the sin of, of his sin or the sin of his parents? Because that was a connection that, that the Jews had. They said it must be some judgment of God upon this person because of their affirmity. And Jesus says very clearly, no. It was no fault of the blind man or his parents. It was to display the glory of God. So, presence <laughs> of others, either an accident or intentional harm. You know, someone with the flu sneezes on you, you get the flu. It's not the result necessarily of sin, right? Get sick. There's viruses, there's diseases in our world. But hear this, there's an overarching principle is that sin is destructive in all aspects of our lives. Spiritually, in our walk with God, relationally with others, and also mentally, emotionally, and physically. Sin is destructive. And so what would you take from this? Well, deal with it. Confess it. God is faithful and just, he says, and he will forgive. So no matter the effect of sin, it needs to be addressed and confessed. All right, I want to say a few things about the prayer of faith and the prayer of the righteous. Getting close here. All right, prayer of the faith and the prayer of the righteous. Because sometimes we say, well, maybe we, if something didn't happen, we're not, we didn't pray in enough faith or, or there was something within us that was holding us back. And so I'll just say this briefly about what is the prayer of faith. Praying in faith means that you have full confidence that God is able to heal. When you pray in faith, you're saying, God, you can do this. I have full confidence that you have the power to heal. You've seen it before. There, there's been history. There's been things in God's word. You've seen power. He is, there is nothing that could potentially keep him from pouring out his power, his favor in this situation. I believe, God, that you can do it. And at the same time, you hold a full trust in the perfect will of God. That his plans and his purposes will prevail. So that's the prayer of faith. God, you can do it. I believe fully that you can. I pray in faith. But I also submit to your will. And I say, God, no matter what you do, your way is good. Your way is perfect. The prayer of the righteous. Who is a righteous person? A surrendered life of yes, where James says, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And how that was like, that's one movement, right? It's not two different movements. When you submit, you surrender to God, it's a turning from sin and turning to God. One movement. Righteous life says yes to God. And we, we believe and we read in scripture that believers are declared righteous because of faith in Jesus. Not that they're so good, it's because of Jesus. And James says, this prayer prayer of the righteous is powerful and it's working. It's doing things. It's moving. It's acting. Sometimes you don't see it. But it's powerful. But difficulty, you have a trouble, a sickness, and you say, I, I believe that. I believe that God could do this. I'm praying in faith. And you believe you're, you're clear of sin. You're, you know the righteousness of Christ has washed you. And so you pray and you pray and you pray. And yet, you don't experience healing or change of circumstances. What do you do? It's difficult. 
But hear this. The Bible gives us a clear example of prayer, of, of pleading with God. And yet God had different plans. And I think it's very, very important. Because you would say, if anyone was a man of faith, it's Paul. If anyone was a man of righteousness, it was Paul. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, he, he declares, he says, I, I've been given this thorn, this affliction, same word here, this, this sickness. And it says, verse um, 12 to 7, chapter 12, verse 7 to 9, it says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest. Honestly, we know it's so difficult to comprehend the plans and purposes of God. In 2011, I'll tell you one, uh, one story. Um, in 2011 was a year in the life of our church in Abbotsford that was like no other. We had... Um, the church congregation that I was a part of that pastored was a fairly younger congregation in our church. And so when we had sickness and when we had people die, it was, it was young people. It was tragedy. Um, but we had uh, a young lady. Her name was Nadine. And she was 19 years old. And she developed pain in her back. And she got um, tests done. And uh, was determined that she had leukemia. And, um, I guess the idea was to have a bone marrow transplant. And they told her she had about an 85% chance of, uh, of recovery. And at the same time, another friend of ours, another lady, I've talked about her a fair bit because she was a dear friend of ours, very significant in the life of our church as well, was Margie. And she had, um, had a sore leg and her leg broke and turned out she had bone cancer in her leg. And she was in her late 30s. And they gave her a 2 to 5% chance of survival. Both of these uh, young ladies at the same time in the life of our church shocked us, broke us. I remember, um, and so we were called as elders, pastors, to come and pray for both of them and anoint them with oil. And so one day she messaged me. She said, she said, I'm, so, I'm glad there are so many people praying for me. It's the battle won on its knees which keeps me strong, willing, and able. No work of my own weak body, but the power of Christ in me and the cry of many longing hearts, which allows me to go on. Nadine passed away six months after uh, she was diagnosed. As for Margie, she lost her leg, um, a third of her liver. And uh, for seven years, though, she was free of cancer. She'd been healed. And in that time, she shared her story with anyone who would listen uh, she would sing of God's harp, I think she did. Um, just the joy of, of the Lord, even in her circumstance, was, was rich. She never wavered in her belief in the goodness of God. Um, and she, <coughs> sorry, she died in November four years ago. So as, as hard as it is, when the healing does not come in this life, we must echo, our strength is made perfect in your weakness. Your grace is sufficient. Have your way, Lord.
of your way. Just as we close, um, he, he ends with the example of Elijah. And he says this, he says, Elijah was a man like us, a person with our limitations, our nature. And I don't know what that would have meant or how the people who read this or heard this letter would have responded to that, but I can imagine there would, this would have been a bit of a jaw-dropping moment. Elijah was a guy who, who called down fire from heaven. <laughs> Elijah was a guy who, who was fed by, by ravens for three-some years. Elijah was someone who raised the widow's son from the dead. Elijah didn't die. Yeah, just like me. But what James is saying is he had the same human limitations. He had power in his prayers. He prayed big prayers. Elijah, he was drawing from the glorious, unlimited resources of God. He walked in obedience to his will, no matter the outcome. Okay, three mind-blowing takeaways, and we're done. Um, mind-blowing, I say that kind of in jest. Okay, these are, these are simple things, but hard at the same time. First of all, a prayer should be your life. If you're a believer, prayer should be your language. It should be your go-to in praise, in panic, that's what you draw from. You draw from this, because this will run dry, and you'll be sucking air and dirt, and your life will reveal it. As a Christian, you, you won't have victory, and it's just going to be not as wonderfully rich as drawing daily from God. doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's just saying that's where, your, that's where your power and your support is coming from. So that should be your life. Secondly, pray for each other. That's part of body life. When someone expresses to you in some way or an email or in the foyer, in the parking lot, and say, hey, I'm going through a trouble, right? I have a difficulty in my life. Please do not just say, oh, shucks, that's too bad. I'm thinking of you. Stop right there. Pray for them. Bring them before God. Pray for them. Lift them up. Don't just make that a token little thing to say pray for them. When you get messages on our prayer chain, don't just read them and say, oh, that's interesting that that's happening to that person. Stop and pray. Pray for each other. Finally, call on people to pray for you. We have a prayer chain. Call us, you know, a pastor, I'm often, I seem to be sometimes the last person to know some things that are going on. And, and again, that's up to you for your privacy and, and what you want people to know. But this is the power available to you. We pray as a staff together almost every Tuesday for our church, for our leaders, for our ministries, for what's happening in our church. Let us know. And we're going to seek to make this a regular pattern, is to make a time near the cross for you to come and to meet with people to pray for you. You don't have to tell them the whole story. You don't have to expect that they're going to counsel you or give advice. They're just going to bring you to the Father. Let's pray.